Welcome to the Sabbath School Podcast with your hosts, Buster Swoops and Michael Campbell. This week, we dive into the lesson for Sabbath, May 30th, Exploring Creation, Genesis as a Foundation, Part 2. Let's start at the beginning, creation. The Sabbath School Rescue Podcast is hosted by Michael Campbell and Buster Swoops at Southwestern Adventist University. We love learning and sharing God's Word, and together we have 18 years of pastoral experience, and now we have the privilege to dig deeper into this study. Okay, so uh, this week uh, we're continuing on in part two of Creation Genesis as Foundation. And this week, our memory text comes from Psalm chapter uh, verse nineteen, or chapter nineteen, verse one, uh, New King James Version as well. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. Well, here we are continuing on another uh, great topic from last week, uh, and and once again, we know exactly where creation started. It, it started at the hand of God who created this earth. Yeah, yeah. There's no question about that. Uh, so, we're going to a, a wheelhouse of yours, Michael. <laughs> I guess you could say, uh, uh, well, let's just get into a, a flat earth. What do you have to say about this? <laughs> oh, what 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 couldn't I say, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, Revelation 7, verse 1. I guess we should be asking, what does the Bible say about this? Right, exactly. And so, here here's the challenge, you know. Um, well, let's, let's look at these uh, traditional uh, texts that people... Uh, sometimes used uh, to prove a flat earth. Revelation 7, verse 1. After these things, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, and the wind should not blow on the earth or on the sea or any tree. I think you've got Revelation 20. Yeah, Revelation 20, verse 7 and 8. says, Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison. And will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. Well, very interesting. Here we have uh, prophetic language. We're in the book of Revelation, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, So if, uh, you know, here's, here's the question is if so much of Revelation and Daniel, these books are all about symbolism and prophetic time periods, a day is a, a year, all of that. And then why would you start taking all of this symbolic language and start interpreting it literally? Four yeah. corners. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you look at a page, I'm looking at the South School Quarterly right now. It's a, it's a rectangle shape and there's four corners, so therefore the earth must be flat, right? Well, and here we have another proof text, if you will. <laughs> uh, let's let's get our proof text out here. So Job 26, verses uh, 7 through 10. Uh, he stretches out the north over empty space, and he hangs the earth on nothing. He binds up the water in his thick clouds, and yet the clouds are not broken under it. He covers the face of his throne and spreads his cloud over it. He drew a circular horizon on the face of the waters at the boundary of light and darkness. Ah, you know, I, I'm just going to read Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22. It says, It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. And so once again, we see in both of these, we see circu- uh, circular and we see the word circle. Well, uh, so which one is it? I mean, we've got our proof text in Revelation and then we have our proof texts in Job and Isaiah. So what do you do when there's uh, multiple scriptural proof texts, if you please, 
uh, uh, about a, a given topic. Ah, you know, so this is where we bring hermeneutics into the into the uh, onto the table, and we also bring context onto the table, right? Exactly. You know, it's interesting. This last week, I've been reading this uh, great book. Shout out to a friend of mine, Ty Gibson. The Sonship of Christ came out. I think this last year sometime. Yeah. And it's looking at this covenant identity. And what I really love is he's dealing with this whole issue of, of who is God as, as divine, as human, all of that in such an engaging way. But in the first couple chapters there, he's talking about one of our big problems that we have as Adventists and as Christians in general is we tend to like to use proof texts. And he said, you know, sort of, you know, jokingly, I think, but half, I think somewhat serious, too, that at one point in the book where he, he points out and said, you know, if he could change something about the Bible, what would he change? He said, well, maybe removing the chapters and verses. Oh, yeah. Because those are modern connotations yeah, yeah. No, that we have done. imposed on Scripture. So we take lots of little pieces, and we're not reading the whole story. Yeah, yeah we sew together our own narrative. And we've already looked at in this this uh, quarterly, um, in our earlier lesson, about how the importance of context, comparing Scripture with Scripture. So that, and here's the dangers. If you take a very narrow and rigid or literalistic way of reading a particular text, and not juxtaposing it with some of these other texts, you run into problems. And by the way, in Adventist history, we have had some people that have taught the flat earth. Yeah, yeah, we have. And in fact, I had to pull off an uh, old book, because you know, Buster, I have a weakness, <laughs> a penchant for, for old books uh, right here in my office. I, and, um, it, and it's titled, um, well, the author's name is Alexander Gleason. Let me give you a little bit of background. Uh, Gleason came up with this idea of reading these same texts that the earth was flat. Yeah. So he wrote to Ellen White a letter, uh -oh. basically espousing his views, and she wrote a letter back to him, one of the more interesting letters I've ever read in the corpus of Ellen White's writings. And uh, she basically, and I'm going to use my own uh, summary, my own words to summarize her letter, but she basically said, brother, you are deluded. <laughs> <laughs> and whatever you do, don't share your views because you will discredit the three angels' messages, referring to the our Adventist beliefs. You yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. Don't share these ideas uh, because it's going gonna, it's gonna to cause problems. Yeah, uh, it's and it's, it's you know simply not true. So the idea that you know here and especially in times of a lot of anxiety and culture, we see a lot of conspiracy theories. We were talking earlier this morning about that. There's a, um, and I think there's a reason why there there's a couple reasons why um, people like to have a proclivity or inclination towards these conspiracy theories. One is it gives them power when there's so much chaos going on around them. So uh, yeah. they can take some unusual idea that they have some usual, unusual angle. It makes them feel, have some control over the chaos of their lives. Anyways, uh, so this is not a new problem in the midst of what's going on around us. Anyway, so he writes, um, and so Ellen White says, please don't publish your views. And does he listen? No, of course not. No. Uh, and so I have here on my office desk um, his book, an original copy of his book, titled, Is the Bible from Heaven? Question mark. Is the Earth a Globe? Question mark. In two parts. Does modern science and the Bible agree? And so what he's doing here in this book is basically uh, explaining the reasons why he believes in a flat Earth. Fortunately, uh, there's not very many copies of this book, and he, he, he's a, a, a relatively unknown figure in Adventist history. 
but I, th- I think Ellen White's counsel is still stellar. Yeah, it's and, true. You know, let's be careful not to take certain texts or a proof text, basically, and run amok without looking at some of the other texts of Scripture, which clearly also understand they see the world operating in a globe. And Ellen White, she traveled around the world. Yeah. She knew that there definitely wasn't flat, you know. <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know, this is this is the thing, Michael, and uh, got into some relatives of mine that believe in this theory. And really? I said, you know what? If we're going to battle on this, it's like, I said, I'd rather battle on something that's a salvation issue and focus our concentration on Christ. Mm-hmm. Can we do that? And it kind of squelched the, the ideas. It's like, it's like, you know what? If you believe in a flat earth and Christ comes back, will that keep you out of heaven? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you have to ask yourself, you know, how important is yeah. this really? Yeah, you know. But once again, majoring in the minors oftentimes will lead us into, uh, you see there, the title of his book, which is, you start questioning other things once it starts digging down to a, a, a bigger hole that you keep digging. Sort and of so, like a slippery slide. Exactly. Mm. It's a slippery slope. And we have to be careful, once again, making sure that mm. we're focusing in on Christ and what is it that he's asking us to do and calling us to do. Wow. Well, here's one of these pitfalls. So hopefully uh, some some good stellar evidence from Scripture and Ellen White yeah. as to why that, that really that idea of a flat earth is erroneous. Yeah, yeah. Do not be deluded. I like that word. All right. So so creation and ancient literature. Ooh. Michael, uh, you have a, a broad uh, a view of this as well as you, you've read a lot. You've, you've encountered this. So, so talk to us a little bit. Well, I'm still learning all the time. But, uh, you know, one book I recently read uh, is by a Old Testament scholar. John Walton teaches at Wheaton. And, uh, you know, here, here's the thing is that there's just an abundance of these. And I think our authors of our quarterly have just given a, a couple of highlights of some of the better known ones. But there are literally dozens and dozens, I would even say probably hundreds of these ancient Near Eastern um, records of the creation of the world. And by the way, we also see those across different cultures, you, different languages, language groups. There's these mythologies, we, we might call them, about how the world Originated. Oftentimes there's references to a flood or something like that. Uh, and some people have suggested that, well, because there's so many of them, that the Genesis account or, or the creation account that we have is really just taken from all of these other ancient Near Eastern. And that's where I actually would disagree with people like Walton and others that just because there's a lot of others doesn't mean that the actual creation account isn't actually true. Because if it is true, and I believe it is because the Bible says so, then it's also just as possible that all of these other numerous accounts are based upon an original account of God's creation of this earth as recorded in Genesis. You know what? We believe in this thing called the Great Controversy. Mm-hmm. And we have to remember that a part of this is the enemy is going around. Uh, I remember I took a, a, a archaeology class. Uh, um, his last name is Ray. Uh, forgot. Oh, I know who you're talking. Yeah, yeah, about. Was, right. So, <laughs> but he, he brought this point, and yeah. it for, will forever stick with me. Mm-hmm. Which is, uh, as you look around in some of these ancient uh, places, you'll see the form of a sanctuary that's mm-hmm. formed there. And so people say, like, well, the Israelites, they stole the, the plans of a sanctuary from these ancient uh, cultures. But the problem is, we, we have to remember, 
that Satan remembers what the throne look, room looks like because it was a copy from from heaven, and so therefore he can communicate that to these people out here on this earth. And so once again, if we take in the broad spectrum of yeah. the great controversy, we realize that copies are, are actually from the original, which actually comes from God. And, and here's another little twist on this, because in the ancient Near East, something that was very common was human sacrifice. Yeah. And you find that even in the Bible. Yeah. Abraham, he goes out and he, he thinks the right thing to do to fix the situation is to offer a human sacrifice. Not exactly what you would typically think, but in that ancient Near Eastern culture, that was actually not unthinkable. And so and so where culture sometimes collides with uh, and, and, and where God's character is on the line and salvation history is on the line, God himself intervenes and has a corrective and says, no, here's a lamb in the thicket and I'm going to provide the sacrifice. Uh, you can't you do it. Um, and so, at, you know, and that's what I love about the Bible is the Bible not only tells us the true story from the beginning from which all other stories derive, I would argue, but it also at times when people like Abraham or others get that story confused God yet intervenes again and says, hey, let me help you get the picture straight. Amen. And uh, I'm praying that he does this, the same thing for us here on Tuesday's lesson, which is <laughs> Genesis versus paganism. Ooh. All right. So I don't know if I asked you, Michael, to read Genesis 1, 14 through 19. Uh, I have it as well. So Why how don't about you go this? ahead? I... Yeah. Go ahead and read. Uh, go to Genesis chapter 2. Gotcha. Uh, Genesis 1, 14 through 19 says, Then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens and divide the day from the night and let them be uh, be for signs and, and seasons and for days and years and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens and give light uh, on the earth. And it was so. And God made two lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. And he made the stars also. And we see here, it goes on. Uh, so the evening and the morning were the fourth day. This is Genesis chapter 1, uh, 14 through 19. And asks this question, how are the entities that appear on the fourth day described and what are their functions? Mm. See there, we see the sun and we see the moon. And we see that they're there to mark the days and the seasons and the weeks and everything else, right? Mm-hmm. The basic rhythms of life. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, what is what? What do pagans uh, use these symbols as? Well, it's not hard to you don't have to go very far uh, to realize that. Yeah, many of these different symbols, such as the sun and the moon, become objects of worship, even in our English language that we have today, and in many other languages as well. But you know, Sunday based off of sun worship, Monday the moon. The reference to the loon, uh, lunar account or lunar uh, weekly cycle, uh, and what have you, uh, or daily cycle, I should say. Anyways, uh, all of these references—the sun, moon, and everything else—they themselves become objects of of worship. And God says, "Well, no. Let me tell you where these things come from. I made them, and uh, but actually, there's something more that you're missing here." Ah, I love that. So, what about Genesis two seven, uh, and then? 18 through 24, what are those telling us? All right, I'm ready for you, Buster. Uh, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. So here we have how God created human beings. Adam, yeah. first human being. And then I guess I'll read really quickly here verses 18 to 24. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I'll make him a helper comparable to him. 
And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast in the field and every bird, excuse me, bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. And so Adam gave names to the cattle and so on. And then I'm going to go all the way down to the end where he sees Eve here. Verse 22, then the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made a woman into a woman and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And therefore a man shall leave his father and mother be joined to his wife and they become one flesh. Ah, I love it. I love it. Uh, So how is God intimately involved in the creation of Adam and Eve? Hands on. Yeah, he's hands on. And so what you care about is what you spend time with is what you spend time on. He didn't just speak us into existence. Yeah. We see him actually get in there and just create us. He he cared about what we looked like. He cared about what was in us and everything. So we see that. It shows an extra dimension, you know, like you already referenced, you know, God speaks into creation, into existence, all these other things. But yes, he gets his hands dirty, we would say. Um, I know we would call that we're using human analogies, but but God himself personally and tangibly becomes involved to make humans have value. And again, uh, as we talked about last week, uh, man and woman both created as equals, not one or the other. The ribs taken from the the middle of 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 Adam. Um, again, symbolizing trying to teach a lesson that in God's ideal, what we're to strive for, that uh, there's an equality between male and female. Yeah. Uh, so it goes on. Uh, because of that equality, male and female, we also have this thing that, that we're dealing with, which is genealogies. Ooh. Genesis chapter 5 and Genesis chapter 11 mm-hmm. says, how does the Bible trace history of humanity from Adam to Noah and then from Noah to Adam? Well, it does it in a very chronological, literal way. Uh, it it's very important. The, the, the Bible is a book of, of history, but not only just history, but accurate history. Uh, to, True. So we see the genealogies listed to show this is a real book, these are real people, and this is real time. Mm. And I like how God enters into time. Time is you know, not separate and apart from God. And I think this is one of the the points that our our authors of our lesson this quarter are trying to get at, although they don't mention explicitly in this particular week, is um, there's two different views of time. And you have Plato and the ancient Greeks and Platonic time. Uh, You know, there's a duality where there's this earth and then there's the gods in heaven. So the, you know, whatever is here, there's a a ideal type somewhere else. And so... Uh, God is above and beyond time. This sort of ethereal... Yeah, God, God is timeless. Timeless. Yeah, the timelessness of God. And and um, what the Bible teaches, and I think what this lesson makes a really good point of, is that God exists not above and beyond us, but God exists with us. Yeah. He exists in actual living time through human history. God experiences all of this with us. Yeah, and so that's, that's the very term in Manual, which mm-hmm. is God with us. And it wasn't just when Jesus came... That God was with us from the beginning, mm-hmm. which is in the beginning, God was with us, right? Uh, yeah. John chapter 1, yeah. uh, verse 1, talks about that very, very thing, that mm-hmm. God was with us from the beginning, and he is with us in time. Well, moving right along, I think, to Thursday. Yeah. Uh, it talks about creation in Scripture, and it gives us a whole uh, slew of texts throughout the New Testament, through the Gospels, through Paul's writings, through uh, you know all of these different texts, uh, all the way up through Revelation, 
and all of them are very, uh, very actual and literal references to an actual and literal creation that God created this earth and that God created human beings, male and female and so on. But because of this, that creation continues to have significance. So not only yeah. is creation like the most, you know, Genesis 1, the most written uh, chapter uh, that more people have written about than any other chapter, yeah. but in the New Testament, just it's all over the place. Yeah, and, and, and let me let me bring this home now, which is if if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, if you are someone who calls yourself a follower of Christ, then you need to be a believer in the creative power of of Jesus Christ of mm-hmm. God. And if not, when I ask the question, what are you doing here, right? Yeah. Uh, all the biblical writers, when they wrote down, they believed in that power because they had an eyewitness to the power of God in their lives. And we need to be continuing that process of being eyewitnesses of what God can do in our lives and have believing he has a power to create. If, if we start denying that power, we start denying the power so in so many other different places yeah. to where we can believe ourselves out of believing in Christ. Well, I love that, Buster, because not only are we starting at Genesis, you know, God's power and actually creating us, but, but as you're reminding us that God's power continues to exist. It wasn't a one-time thing. No, it was not a one-time thing. It's a continuation. Yeah, and, and God's creative power. I, I need that power in my life. I, yeah. I need to. And also it gives us hope for the future because yes. if God started this thing, he's going to finish it. Yeah. And, you know, it even gives us a clear picture of how is Jesus able to do miracles? He's the creator. <laughs> the, the creator can continue to create in d- different ways. And so uh, please be a believer just mm. like the biblical writers were of uh, being moved by the Holy Spirit of recognizing what to believe in and how to believe by based off of the word of God. You know, that gives me so much hope in the midst of the pandemic and all the craziness that's going on in the earth around us right now. Yeah. We can remember, and even for those that tragically die, you know, uh, Buster, we've had this series on ministry in the midst of pandemic with our theology students. Yes. Interviewing people each week. And one of the next ones uh, we're going to have is interviewing um, some pastors in New York City. One pastor that I know of lost 11 members in just his one congregation. Absolutely and stunningly tragic. Lord help us. Yeah. You know, and I was talking to uh, a friend of mine yesterday up at the seminary. Uh, one of the seminary students, her husband passed away of the COVID-19. Oh. Just utterly tragic. So the more I see all of these different things, it reminds me of the preciousness of life and, and the value of human life. But it also gives me the hope in the midst of the pandemic that even if the worst should happen and, and you succumb or maybe someone close to you were to succumb to the disease, we know that we have hope. Amen. God has power to raise as he created. He has the power and will, if we believe and trust him, uh, will raise the dead to life once again. And earth will be made new. There will be an end to sin and to disease. Yeah, and to death itself. Yeah. Absolutely. So thank you so much uh, for joining us this week. Had a wonderful time with you. And I'm praying that we'll all be literal believers in the creative power of God. Well, couldn't have said it better, Buster. Yes. Well, I guess that puts a wrap for this week. So this is uh, Soup. And Swoops. Signing Signing out. As we put a wrap on this week's lesson, this is Campbell Swoops signing off. By the way, we want to give a shout out to our sponsors, the Southwestern Union of Seventh-day Adventists and Southwestern Adventist University, which has for over 125 years provided a Christ-centered education just 20 minutes south of Fort Worth, Texas. 
We love teaching with personal colleagues, offer quality academics, and provide numerous ways to get involved both on campus and across the globe. To learn more, visit swahu.edu or check us out on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Also, be sure to join us again next week as we continue to explore God's Word. You can make sure not to miss an episode by joining us at sabbathschoolrescue.org.